0: Hello and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And
1: I'm Kelly. This
0: time we are discussing the graphic
1: novel Brooms by Jasmine Walls and Theo Duval, with additional contributions by Bex Glendley, Glendening and Ariana Mayer. This story follows a wide cast of characters in 1930s Mississippi, where magic is restricted based on race and class. Broom racing is outlawed by the state, but clandestine competitions offer some much needed prize money uh, and clout, cultural clout for people who participate. Maddie and Emma, I believe are two Choctaw youth, so two indigenous youth trying to evade detection by the authorities so they don't get sent to government boarding school. And so, of course, they learn to race and they make connections with some queer and trans role models along the way. And in a library coven first, I'm the only person who wrote initial reactions. (laughs) Do you want
0: to? I just forgot. I don't know why.
1: (laughs) See, (laughs) it happens. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? You can go. (laughs) I thought this book was... Fun and quick. I was honestly impressed by the representation of a range of experiences that we don't usually see all together in the work, even though obviously representation isn't the be all end all of all the things. I could th- see this being, like, a really great entry point for discussions about colonialism, racism, classism, and how all those things intersect with younger readers. Because I found that the language and, like, the plot and everything was seemed pretty accessible for, like, middle grade readers and up. I don't know if you'd agree with that assessment in your librarian expertise. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought it was fun and and yeah i thought that this would would be maybe fun to read with a a teen or something because there would be some good conversations
0: yeah i don't know why i forgot to write my initial reactions because I wrote everything else. (laughs) But I did really enjoy the book. It was cute. Like you mentioned, it was a very quick read and I think very accessible to young people who mm, maybe just need like a different framework for talking about these kind of things. Like you said, it's like a good entry point, um, I think for middle grade, especially because um, it talks about some really mm, difficult and um, like harrowing topics that can like, you can really dig into, but also can be like mm, very traumatizing. I think especially for like, black indigenous and queer youth this would be a good entry point I would say I didn't like love love the illustrations they were like very flat yeah but that's just me but I don't I also don't read like a ton of graphic novels so I just feel like sometimes the ones that I've read in the past have like popped a little bit more but I also think like the tone and like the darkness of the art in the story like worked well for the setting so not my favorite artwork but i think it did a good job of including a lot of things and including the sign language so that was cool
1: yes totally recommend if you like
0: okay so i picked some graphic novels that i thought might go along with this so Mooncakes by suzanne walker which is also like very diverse um queer and disabled characters which i thought was fun and fun magic um Artie and the wolf moon by olivia stevens And crumbs by Danny Sterling. I think all of these would kind of work for um, a young adult audience. um, And maybe like Artie and the Moon Wolf might work for middle grade. Um, Also deals with like legacies of slavery. So yeah, those would be my three recommendations. I don't understand yours at all. So I'm gonna (laughs) let you explain that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i kept thinking about the fast and furious franchise when i was reading this book probably just because of all the like like <laughs> the secret racing
0: <laughs> oh okay okay
1: fast and furious like early on it was a bunch of like mm-hmm. secret racing and then later on it gets like absurd but <laughs> i don't know why i just thought that that was kind of funny and put that on here <laughs>
0: all right why did we choose this book we were sent this book by lee and low so thank you shout out for sending us an arc Uh, we both read the print edition from our respective libraries but we do appreciate when publishers reach out to us about reading stuff i just unhooked my headphones so let me hook those back in (laughs) oh my god back i'm back yes (laughs)
1: <laughs> we always we appreciate an arc, but especially from rad publishers like Lee and Lowe, who seem to like understand mm-hmm. what the vibe of the show is about. Because sometimes we get pitches and I'm like, mm, have you even listened to an episode? Because we don't talk about those kinds of books.
0: No, or books from like cis hetero white men and i'm like oh, we've never read any of those i don't think like so.
1: self-published they're like <laughs> mm-hmm. essentially roman empire like yeah. analogous book and i'm like mm, no we don't thank you i think we
0: got one that was written by a da and i was like
1: <laughs> i was, I was like okay wrong cool, cool,
0: cool.
1: audience for your piece <laughs> yes you want to get eviscerated yes, yes, yes. maybe but
0: <laughs> so send us cool books we will read them uh but you know maybe listen to an app (laughs) before you send it
1: time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe
0: i feel like a lot of this can go and one does not simply but some of it was also really like tied to the world building too so uh I just put a couple of things in here. So we have residential schools as a way to keep young people from learning indigenous magic. Um, and they get sent to like very traditional ideas of what we think of as magical schools, like learning Latin and doing silly little spells. Um, which I just found so funny because, you know, we kind of got that a little bit in family lore as well, where they were kind of like making fun of these like traditional ideas of what magic is like from a very European standpoint. So I thought that was really funny that we had it again, come up in another book.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It felt like there were so many points that like of our conversation that we touched on in family lore that then like, I feel like this book is actually like widening open. Like like this one, like you said, the adding the white people for their like very strange and like controlling, maybe limited conception of what magic is. And also the like lack of connection to culture, ancestry, like the earth, like things that you would ostensibly be getting your powers from, and the white people are just like not connected to that at all. They're just using her money, uh, and calling the cops. Mm.
0: <laughs> Sounds about <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's funny. Cause I do enjoy those kinds of books. Like those are the kinds of books that really like got me into fantasy as a young person. So like those kinds yeah. of books are fine, but it is nice. I would say in like the last 10 years or so to see a, like a very big expansion and what we think of as magic, magical schools, like magical living, like those kinds of things. So I've appreciated seeing that, you know, seeing something different come up in fantasy than like what I grew up with yes
1: thank god it's so much better and that white people don't have the stranglehold on the publishing market like they used to I mean they still have their hand around the neck or the boot on the neck but but luckily things are changing
0: (laughs) (laughs) it also seemed like from this story and I wasn't 100% sure that maybe like black folks weren't allowed to use magic at all which I was just like excuse me <laughs> but you know finding ways to like learn their history through their ancestors through oral storytelling and teaching rather than like having like these grimoires and like long histories written down going back like thousands of years or whatever because like you know uh, this takes place in Mississippi so post-civil uh, war um, and freeing of enslaved people so it was you know the black folks in this world have also been separated from like their homeland and their ancestors and you know their languages and uh culture uh and you know that's something i think we see even today in uh, black communities like it's hard to know like where you're from what your backstories are like what your ancestry is um so it was an interesting way to include that in this book and kind of talk about that like gap in our knowledge and like kind of like i would say like the epistemic side of black history um, so I really appreciated how they put this in but was also like angry <laughs>
1: epistemicide yes words oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> that just gave me like a brain tingle oh good uh, good <laughs> I, I don't know what you call it like the reconstruction era it feels like a little before Jim Crow but maybe those things like overlap but I'm I'm not an expert in black history obviously yeah I appreciated how it like it wasn't depicting I mean the time period wasn't Mm -hmm. right for like slavery for like chattel slavery itself but it's like we're definitely seeing the echoes of that but I appreciated how like the book wasn't about that you know how we we get coming out like books about like queer people that are just about coming out but like this book was not like just about being in oppressed groups you know it was also about like Gaining knowledge and the subterfuge necessary to live in this like reconstruction era moment when, like, it's like white people are trying to rein in the possibilities that were opened up from you know the abolition of slavery. I loved like the coalition between the various marginalized groups, but I think you're right that like black folks weren't allowed to use magic. And well, I mean, it's a good segue to like this next you want to like just move on to your next point because like i i was also a little bit confused about the magical rules quote unquote
0: yeah so we're going to discuss all things magic now because it just was fit so well into the world Um, but i wasn't like 100 percent clear about the rules of the magic and some of that might be a way that the story was kind of like pushing away from these like strict rules of magic because like it seemed like black and brown folks might have magic that's like more tied to their ancestors kind of like we mentioned whereas like the white people speak latin and shit like you know the same old same old so i think maybe that's part of like the magical world building is that like there aren't strict rules because everyone's magic is kind of different maybe I don't know what do you think
1: I think that's a good take that seems correct to me one thing that really struck me well I mean there's broom racing so like that's magical Mm -hmm. obviously yes 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 how you could like use different like spells and stuff but certain things were verboten during the races so I think that's like the moment where we we see the most like the scenes where we see the most like magic happening the way we could would conceive of it in like a fictional fantasy yeah. sense. And one thing that struck me is there were like little breadcrumbs almost, uh, about like the connection between money and magic or economic mm-hmm. class and magic, which obviously has overlaps with like race and ethnicity. I noticed that like white people, like the teams of white people were like using expensive amulets with powers. Whereas, other people who couldn't didn't have access to that sort of capital, we could say, was um, they, you know, were forced to get creative and use different kinds of spells or incantations or like tactics in order to like essentially not buy their way to a win. Um, it, it reminds me of the like people don't have the same 24 hours in a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because of their access to resources or something like that. And then there was also the possibility Uh, One of the reasons why Maddie and Emma, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and co were thinking about going to this like big secret broom race. It's like, you can use dangerous spells ad and, but they just started. And so that's like kind of the big climax of the, of the novel, but the prize money would let them like buy a permit essentially, which would Mm -hmm. make it so that they didn't have to go to residential school. So it reminds me of like people getting out of the draft because for various reasons, like economic and racial privilege, you know, it it set the stakes high enough to make me like want to keep reading and wondering what was going on. And yeah, it was just it was nuanced enough between like the race, class, colonialism sort of disparities that these different groups were facing. So it's almost like historical fiction in that way. Yeah. Um, Just take out the broom racing.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think that's maybe why, like you mentioned, it would be like a good entry point for middle grade kind of age. Um, And I think some of that is because like some of the things are so subtle that an older reader would pick up on some of the class things that maybe a younger person wouldn't, but it kind of is an introduction to them, like about what is fair and what's not, you know, like about justice, I think um, in a way that it's just more accessible to them, so good. Good call on putting this for middle graders as well.
1: <laughs> I also think, like, because we're in the era of like book bands mm-hmm. and stuff, that like the cover just like looks so whimsical, yeah. and it's not like openly outing itself as queer. That like, I feel like this would maybe be able to pass censorship. <laughs> like, sucks that we have to like talk yeah. about that, but because it's like magical and stuff like that. But if the per- per- if like someone actually bothered to read it there's actually like a lot of you know what's the word i'm looking for maybe yeah subtext there you go yeah but like about liberation and things
0: also i forgot to mention it and it doesn't really go anywhere but that cover really made me think of a league of their own with um billy may on the cover with the little hat on i haven't watched the tv show and i know it's already canceled but that was a a fave movie of mine as a kid so i don't know why i was just like given strong league of their own (laughs)
1: vibes I'm looking at the cover. Oh my gosh, it's so true. It's so true. (laughs) Okay, let's go get Kylo Ren. Let's talk about conflict villains and good and evil.
0: So white people and racism, like just the constant evil around here. Uh, Luella and Billy May have, like, this discussion about how just because something is the law doesn't make it right. Um, It seems like Luella used her magic when a man was trying to hurt her, but then she's one who got in trouble. So, you know, this is something that comes up a lot, I think, especially nowadays, about, like, what it means for a law to be just and, like, should we follow those rules if they're not just? And obviously a lot of that comes down to, like, different people's ideas around what is just and fair and if you should follow the rules or whatever, I appreciate this aspect because I don't think it's something we get a lot of in fiction for young people where you kind of are second guessing the way that the world has been made and whether or not it's fair for you uh, or for others. And I think maybe some of this, you know, we see a lot of Gen Zers now very involved in politics and social movements um, I think in a way that millennials maybe weren't as much as from like such a young age like this isn't even something I would have like con- I couldn't even conceive of the idea that these kinds of things are possible that Gen Z are doing now so um, it gives me hope for the future but I also really appreciate that the book kind of like spoke to that like the ways that you kind of push back against unfairness and the laws and the world and just all around so I really appreciated this aspect of the of the story.
1: I'm so glad you brought this up and it like serendipitously is like a perfect example of the like liberatory subtext that Mm -hmm. I feel like especially as like young people you're starting to pay attention to like you said how society is organized and maybe question some of these rules because you're like not coming with all of the like I don't know 40 years of social conditioning and baggage that it's just like this is how it is resignation maybe is the word I'm looking for. And, yeah, the book is, like, up front, like, obviously dealing with how do we change? Well, I guess it's it's not about, like, systemic change necessarily. It's more about, like, how can I survive and get out of this, like, shitty situation I'm in, yeah. which, like, fair enough. We're seeing how, like, in the broom racing scenes, like, certain people, like, the pedigrees, the, like, antagonists, I would say, right? Yeah. And their entitlement, like, they don't even want to, like, share prize money because they think they are so entitled to winning and so much better. And just how none of that has been interrogated by themselves. They're just, like, assuming that they're the best because that's, you know, what the over-narrative tells them and what their position in society would make them believe. The white people and racism, yeah, just the, the entitlement, I guess, that comes from being an oppressor for so long and that whole, like, line about how... What's that line about like when you've like equality or equity feels like impression when you've been used to being Mm -hmm. an oppressor for so long.
0: And I'm glad you brought it up. The part about like it's the book wasn't like specifically the characters in the book weren't specifically seeking out um, systemic changes, but I think it is interesting because there's like some back matter in the book where it's just like, at first I didn't realize it was part of the story. And we say Billy May is like being bailed out of jail and stuff. So since this book takes place in the 1930s, we're not that far out from civil rights movement. And so I can see how this might mm, encourage like, Uh, Maddie and Emma to maybe in the future take part in civil rights movements because they kind of get this like you know we understand this disconnect between what is right and what's happening Um, so I could see this like moving into like it starts with trying to fix things for yourself and then moves into fixing things for like your community and others so I'm glad you brought that part up as well
1: we saw like the the catalyst moment in their young lives Mm -hmm. I will talk about the paratext later obviously because I'm me Yeah. (laughs) And this is another like callback to the episode about family lore, but kind of like hot off the heels of my anti-boarding school rant slash like conversation about generational complicity at the end of our last episode. Yeah, the like the central, almost like haunting presence in the background of the threat of residential school as like a big villain in the story and about how like they're just trying to evade detection so they don't have to like go you know experience that sort of harrowing uh abuse and like cultural genocide and stuff so yeah i just i had to throw in genocidal institutions educational otherwise are are bad actually (laughs) in the the section
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i just watched a episode from the third season of reservation dogs where they kind of go back in time and talk you know, show the residential schools. um, so would recommend that episode. It's from season three. I think it's called Dear Lady. If you have like no background knowledge about residential schools, it is a good entry point maybe for adults. I wouldn't say for children. It's pretty good entry point, I think, for gaining a better understanding of that through uh, popular media. but it's a tough episode to watch, so content warning for all the bad things you might imagine would happen at a school where children are stolen from their families and put there by like religious communities or whatever so and for murder Mm -hmm. (laughs) content warning for murder
1: yes also that
0: but in a good way and bad way actually it's all there it's all there
1: i will um put some information some links in the show notes but yeah there's um in May 2022, there was just released a federal Indian boarding school initiative investigative report. Um, so like, and it's how many pages are we look at Like, Like, like
0: 100 pages. I guess 300. 100. Yeah, oh, okay. that was gonna be way And this longer. is like the
1: first <laughs> report to really come out. And there's, yeah. there's photos and everything. There's like a, uh, so I'll put this like big PDF in there. Um, but yeah, that was an initiative by the Department of the Interior, which Deb Holland is the first indigenous person to, I think she's from Laguna Pueblo in so-called New Mexico. But yeah, the uh, first person to be in charge of that, uh, of the Department of Interior. And yeah, I'll put some links to like the Red Nation and, and other other places that have like actually from a native perspective talked about the experience of boarding schools because i feel like we don't we don't need to hear more like white people pontificating about it you know what i mean yeah for sure as i pontificate on my podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know (laughs) and uh if you're a library person and love libraries there's lots of resources about there about all the shitty things libraries have done to like mm, move indigenous people into whiteness and how they helped with residential boarding schools so libraries pretend to be neutral they really have a very bad and shitty history of trying to colonize people's cultures and brains so just putting that out there because we say we we do love libraries around here but they also are terrible (laughs) love
1: them enough to know their history and critique them and engage with them as yes problematic and fluctuating institutions that they are but yeah definitely like I would call it like front lines of cultural assimilation wouldn't you
0: Mm -hmm. yes 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 exactly and they did it not just to like indigenous people but to black people and immigrants from Europe that was like their whole thing was yeah doing that so (laughs) fun stuff
1: (laughs) one arm of the propaganda machine she's still going strong folks
0: oh yes onward magical friends just as one does not simply walk into Mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class gender and ability this was our segment about power and bodies and how they relate and basically we've been doing this the whole episode anyway so I feel like we just have one big one does not simply episode today (laughs) exactly pretty much (laughs) yeah so I think Kelly mentioned this earlier, but we have a super wide range of diverse characters. Um, Billy Mae is black and spells her middle name the same as me. I think May is a very common Southern middle name. Luella is indigenous. Maddie and Emma, I'm not 100% sure because I wasn't sure who their parents were, um, if any of the characters were their parents, but they were drawn as brown and they seem to be like connected to Luella in some way, I think. Definitely indigenous, I think. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Loretta has a leg brace and Chang Kwan is trans femme. So we really just like so much representation and we kind of like touched base on all of their stories and their representation, I guess. And I think I forgot to mention, Billy May seems to have some kind of like chronic pain around using her magic. Um, So that's also important too. Um, So yeah, just like, wow, good job authors slash illustrators <laughs> so good so good and
1: mm-hmm. I I saw in the acknowledgements that I can't remember which of the authors um thanked like the consultants that worked on the book which I assume mm-hmm. would be sensitivity readers just like a different yeah, word to refer to them um so I was like oh, okay cool yeah there was so much yeah like you said a diverse representation but it it didn't feel like tokeny like every all of these people had a reason mm-hmm. to be in community together and yeah. they were um, you know learning about each other's histories and yeah I thought the the interactions between Cheng Quan and the two teens when they see her in her job and like she explains that her parents don't know that she's trans and lots of like intergenerational moments which I'll, can talk a little bit more about in shipwrecked but yeah I, I thought that the This representation was like spot on about how, like, there's you know, consequences from inhabiting these various identities. So it wasn't just like, okay, there's everyone from every color of the rainbow on this cover, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. We also see in like the black and brown communities in this story that people don't always fill stereotypical gender roles. Uh, So like James, who is Loretta's husband, seems to take care of a lot of household tasks that are traditionally considered like women's work. Um, He's shown cooking, meals, and mending clothes. And then Luella's father also seems to do at least some of the cooking in the house. And I just appreciated this because I feel like um, in a lot of books that we read, like it really depicts men as like bad, which is like fine. I'm cool with that because a lot of times they are. Um, (laughs) But I really like this story about like how mm, people don't need to fit into stereotypical gender roles to be like accepted in their community. Um, And like, that's just not, always the way that relationships work, like relationships work, people are gonna take on doing different tasks and like no roles have gender. <laughs> um, so I just appreciated this aspect of this story, especially because I feel like a lot of times like through popular media, black and brown men in particular are really encouraged to be like manly men in quotes, you know, whatever that means. So um, mm-hmm. I appreciated this like different kind of take on it, um, especially for like, you know, my communities
1: yeah seeing other people doing the care work than just like the stereotypical representations that we get in you know probably from the white gaze let's be honest often yeah
0: yeah we also have sign language in this book which was really fun i don't know yeah uh, kelly's doing like applause but in sign language <laughs> um <laughs> I thought this was really cool because I don't really see that many books with sign language like included in them um, in comic form. There's a very popular book called El Defo, which is a book about a girl who is deaf and she gets cochlear implants and it didn't seem like she learned sign in the book, if I'm remembering correctly my sign language isn't like great, but I did take like three years of sign language. I can get by, I can help people at the library if they need it, (laughs) have done so. But I just thought this was really cool because I don't think we get a lot of like deafness in our stories. And I would say like, this is a good start. We don't really get to see like the deaf community in the way that I think uh, really speaks to like their ideas on disability, um, and community, but obviously that couldn't happen in this story because we have one deaf person. Uh, but I just really enjoyed this aspect. Uh, if you're looking to learn sign language, there's a guy on YouTube named Bill Vickers. I can write it in the show notes or Kelly's got it. He does them on YouTube. He teaches, uh, ASL, American Sign Language. Um, and his YouTube videos are great and very helpful but they're only American sign language. Lots of different (laughs) countries have their own sign language and even black people have their own sign language. So grain of salt there, the sign language you learn from him will not work everywhere.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you've, you've said this in, in past episodes. I remember but like a good reminder, a PSA to like throw your dollars and your attention to actual, to like deaf people, not, and and to learning yeah. from those communities uh, and their expertise yeah. and lived experience, in, instead of from yeah. you know hearing teachers when that's possible at all possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. And B- Bill Vickers is not deaf. Um, he might be a Coda, was just a child of a deaf adult, but um, he is often. Recommended by Deaf people uh, for hearing people trying to learn sign language. Um, but there's also a lot of creators you can find on TikTok in particular who will teach you all kinds of things and will teach you swear words. So that's always fun. <laughs> I already knew them all, but it was fun to see people like kind of picking that up. So would recommend looking there as well. <laughs> nice,
1: nice. Yeah, I, I I really appreciated seeing some like multiple people signing. We had one Deaf character, but obviously she's being communicated with and is communicating to other people in her Mm -hmm. community. Um, I'm sure it took some like intentionality from the writers and the illustrators, but at the end of the day, it's like doing a few, like throwing a few extra drawings of gestures and maybe some lines Mm -hmm. to indicate like movement, but like Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, not that hard to like visually represent them, you know, in the, in, in the book.
0: Yeah. And they did a good job too, like mentioning that, like, I wasn't actually sure who was deaf Maddie or Emma, but, but like also mentioning like, you need to look at the person when they're talking to you so that they can see your mouth for people who can lip read, which do not depend on that oh my God, but it is important when you're speaking to a deaf person to like look at them so that not like put your hands in front of your face in such a way that it'll cover your mouth. Masks make it really difficult for deaf people. So yeah, just some of the things, don't walk between deaf people when they're signing to each other. It's like, you know, basically like coming up to a person and shouting at them while you're, they're trying to talk to someone else. Uh, so just some of those like little things, like very nuanced that people might not know. I just appreciated that inclusion.
1: Okay, finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own.
0: We have a cute little relationship going on between Luella and Billy May. Uh, I really enjoyed this, even though they didn't actually end up together at the end. So I'm kind of like looking towards their future, like what's going to happen But I appreciated seeing this. Uh, It was fun and cute and sweet. One of the things I really liked about the story is it wasn't, like, super traumatic for the characters and their relationships based on their marginalization, uh, like, between each other. Obviously, from, like, the powers that be systems and all that. But um, I just really appreciated this part. And, yeah, team Luella and Billy May
1: luella with her like high femme vibes billy may butch queen of our dreams like it was just it was all so good they <laughs> seemed like very compatible we saw them as like a you a united front like but they could have hard conversations instead of you know just like they they weren't necessarily um always on the same page or they had to like come to an agreement about whether or not they were going to put these young girls into you know a risky situation and ultimately they decided to because you got to you know risk it for the biscuit as jesse i've heard you say before (laughs) (laughs) this is when i'm going to bring up the the paratexts that were in the back i really loved the inclusion of like some future like archival material almost like we got like newspaper clippings about like billy may like you mentioned um an Olympic scandal where she's like holding up the black power fist and decides not to finish a Mm -hmm. race, which I thought was amazing. And then she gets banned. And then 20 years later, she comes back to the Olympics and sets a record and Chen Quan's building brooms. And we get this like adorable photo of all of them. And they're all like wrinkly and chubbier and they just look so happy at the end. It's like a little scrapbook. It's very cute yeah, we see how Luella goes on to be like a lawyer who's getting agitating for systemic change, like you were mentioning. like we get these little snippets of how their their lives kind of weave into the fabric of like social justice essentially in this like alternate reality. and then there's a there's a photo or like a drawing of um Billy May and no, not Billy May, Emma and Maddie. I couldn't like distinguish between them two. I almost wish they had like a name tag. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they're like standing in front of uh, like a Choctaw Heritage Magic School that they, it seems like might've opened or something. Um, So I just appreciate how like there's flashbacks in the narration itself that develop the stories. And then we also get these like little flash forwards that give you inklings about how things are going in the future for these little characters.
0: Yeah, it was cute. I like that as well.
1: And then I, I love how we have multi-generational connections. There's, it seems like a grandmother figure in the story. We have parents. We have, it's almost like Luella and Billy May are like older sibling vibes for these younger people. And, Yeah, I just like how the story was um, invested in, yeah, like showing that community is multi-generational in its ideal form for sure.
0: I I also enjoyed that. It was really cool because I do think you see that a lot also with like black and brown families. Um, Sometimes people live with their grandparents, you know, like those kinds of things. I just thought, you know, like it, it added a nice touch. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind And Kill Your Darlings. We've mentioned this a little bit, but like I'm no expert in graphic novels. I don't read them super frequently, so this could really be on me and maybe now us. <laughs> but I wasn't sure who Emma and Maddie were, which makes it really difficult. Um, it just wasn't like clear to me. Like I'm not sure that they were ever introduced separately. They only came as like a pair, so I wasn't sure which was which um which was like confusing uh and made it hard to write show notes because I I just had to like pair them together at all times because I'm like we have a deaf character Emma or Maddie I don't know (laughs) either Um. (laughs) one or the other
1: (laughs) one or the other yeah maybe it was like a a lack of close reading on my part but yeah they did always seem to appear in the scenes and the things together so we didn't get like separate scenes so that maybe would have differentiated them for me a little bit more
0: Well, and, like, in the beginning, too, I wasn't sure if um, whichever one of them is deaf was deaf or if they were mute and they were the one who was only, you know, talking through sign language. So, like, that was also, like, took me a while to be like, what's going on here? Like, what is the representation that we're getting? I finally figured it out, obviously, but (laughs) I was just, like, it was a little confusing at the beginning, but I think it can be a little bit more difficult to, like, set up backstories and like really um mm-hmm. like ground your characters uh a little bit I like I think that's a little more difficult in graphic novels than it is in you know like a prose novel um so yeah
1: you mentioned this a little bit at the top and that it was like a uh, in initial reactions and it was also my initial reaction like some of the backgrounds of the scenes or the panels seemed like a little empty for lack of a better mm-hmm. word um you were very generous in your reading and we're like <laughs> maybe it's just a style choice and that's fine and you know I I agree with that maybe it is it is just a style choice but it it, it did stick out to me at the beginning and then I just like kind of got used to it mm-hmm. I think and then it wasn't calling my attention as much the more I got through the book
0: yeah I would agree when well, it's hard to because some of the panels are really dark which also made it kind of difficult to like distinguish characters and background and all of that
1: Mm -hmm. Totally. I thought the pacing was quick, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. Loved that. And then there was like enough resolution at the end without like shutting down the reader's imagination. Like you can kind of, you know, ship your HEA if you want, because it leaves that open. And there's like a few, you know, clues that maybe that'll happen. So we kind of like get the sense that these characters are like on an upward trajectory. And then we get, you know, a little bit of some sprinkles of like nice paratext on top that confirms that yes our characters are doing great
0: yeah i always appreciate that i feel like we don't often get especially in books for why like why books we don't get like a far off into the future look at where our characters are so this was kind of fun because it is something you sometimes get in like adult novels romance novels that sort of thing um so it was a good like way to tie up the end but like you mentioned like let the reader also imagine like the possibilities for these characters lives Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before?
1: When I was writing my notes, I was like, did it? Did it not? (laughs) I don't know. And then it got me thinking about like, I I was thinking about like um, how we don't see the broom racers in real time, like, organizing to kick out these, like, shitty white people that are ruining the the party for everyone else. And so then it got me thinking about, like, the case for and the need for affinity spaces that are protected from white people and their, like, particular flavors of racism and settler fuckery that we bring with us. I say we because it's me, y'all. <laughs> um, but yeah, this... Um, I thought that like, oh, man, this is why we ca- they can't have nice things It's mm-hmm. because these friggin like entitled ass pedigree people are calling the cops when they don't win because they're like sad and they need to call their mommy or whatever mm-hmm. and complain. So I was like, oh, yes, definitely needed affinity spaces are, are crucial for folks.
0: Yeah, as someone who's part of two affinity groups at the university, I would definitely agree with this. I will also say that my department tried to ask us to send out calls for membership to the Black Caucus for the whole department. And I was like, get fucked. I'm not doing that. We don't want them here. And I was like, it's Black Caucus, not Black and other people caucus, but it's whatever. It all worked out in the end, but I was just like scratching my head like... You know, to be like, what do you mean send it to everyone? We can't stop anyone from joining, obviously, because there's like a lot of rules around that at the university. But I'm like, we don't need to send the email to everyone so that some white person tries to like jump in on our group, um, like as an ally, in quotes, because if you were an ally, you wouldn't try and group join our affinity space. But uh yeah,
1: yeah, you <laughs> would know it's not for you. You <laughs> <laughs> would stay in your lane. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: But also this is like the same can be said for lots of different spaces like queer spaces probably deserve not probably they deserve to have space away from straight people who don't understand you know some of the struggles uh, or even joys of queerness like so it's just good to like have those spaces for people to be able to bond with other people who you know understand them the best you know.
1: Okay, I need to get the card questions. I forgot to grab them.
0: <laughs> I don't know if Kelly can hear me, but in their video they keep slowing down then speeding up real fast. It looks like a horror movie.
1: <laughs> I can't hear you.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> um, okay, I have them. Yes, my internet's not the best. My partner needs to fix it.
0: It's okay. Yeah. It's time for an upgrade.
1: My in-house tech person is going to fix it, obviously. <laughs> Did
0: any parts of the book make
1: you uncomfortable? There was one scene where the like cops come to the door and we're not mm-hmm. sure if Maddie and Emma will successfully be able to hide from them. But I also thought we're far enough along in the book that they cannot get captured. Like these are our main characters. Like they have <laughs> to, <laughs> like they have to be okay. Um, so I would say what it, it was that made you uncomfortable. I mean, like white people's shenanigans make me uncomfortable often. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say nothing made me feel like uncomfortable in the way that like there were some parts of reading the Poppy War where I was like, oh, no, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. (laughs) But um, yeah, there are definitely parts like moments of discomfort in that, you know, bad things might happen. Uh, It's like more suspenseful than uncomfortable, I would say.
1: Nice. Suspenseful. That's a good way of talking about it. Yeah. This is more a question for you, okay. what similar <laughs> titles would you group with this book at a book stand?
0: Oh damn,
1: if you're setting up like a like a um i mean the recommend if you like is a good mm-hmm. like place to start.
0: I would also put like Heartstopper in there because it's like queer but like very happy, comfy vibes, obviously there's moments in that series that are also difficult but also a diverse cast of characters tv show or book Um, i would put legend born in there because like we get you know black magic not like white people call stuff black magic (laughs) but like connection to ancestors that sort of thing a lots away (laughs) uh yeah so i would just like pick all my favorite black and indigenous queer asian authors and put them all together because why not
1: love it That's a great answer.
0: Thanks.
1: (laughs) Should we do one more? Yeah. Let's see what we got.
0: Did the book ask
1: whether it's right to follow your passions?
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. I I don't think it was a question. No. Or I guess we, we see the book being like, yes, do that. And especially in those um, like scenes where we see the littles together Mm-hmm. Loretta Billy May and Chang Kwan I think are who we and Luella I wasn't sure if she was like also a part of that like cadre of young people
0: I don't think Luella was
1: okay so yeah we see those three pursuing their little broom moments together mm-hmm. in the forest and I was like yeah you gotta you gotta follow your passions obviously
0: yeah and like A a lot about, like, living your truth. Like, Chang Quan was really nervous to tell her parents that she was trans. But it kind of gives you, like, a ray of hope because I think sometimes when you have to, like, talk to people about bad things, you just assume that the worst is going to happen. And I liked how her storyline kind of was, like, yes, the worst could happen, but also the best could happen. (laughs) So I really like those, like, aspects. And her, like, parents were chill. Yeah. They were just like, okay, cool.
1: That was so beautiful.
0: Yeah they're like okay we'll move somewhere else so you don't have to deal with like being constantly outed (laughs) yes oh my
1: god and then you can just live your own we'll live to we'll move to a more metropolitan city where you can Mm -hmm. be your amazing trans self yes exactly the stakes were high and i was glad that it just like wasn't a thing that was like such a relief yeah because it's almost like yeah i don't know speaking from my own experience like as a um as like a A newly hatched egg, as they say in the the lexicon, (laughs) but like, yeah, it's almost like bracing for impact or Mm pre-armoring up whenever you have to talk about something that like society frames as a problem. When in reality, it's just like your own experience, right? And yeah, people can surprise you in a positive way. Actually, too, is a good thing to remember. Yeah. Oh, it's me. Thanks for listening to the library, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks for A Crown So Cursed by L.L. L. McKinney. Is this the last one in the series? The Allison Nightmareverse <yeah>. series? <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it's been so long since we've read the other ones. I'm excited to see how it, how it wraps up. Me too. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical people. Let us know what you think of the episode if we missed something or say hi by reaching out to us on Instagram at the library coven. Or you can also find us on Gmail if you have arcs that are fit the hashtag brand of the show. You can email the library coven at gmail.com.
0: You can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. Um, Although I should mention that like Google Podcasts is going away and getting integrated into YouTube. So I don't know how long till that happens. (laughs) Um, If you use Google Podcasts. TBD, we'll figure out what that means. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, We'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or shop our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical.